Oh, well, I mean, you gave us plenty of time to talk about geopolitics uh, and the various nuances thereof, uh, and we got it all done. We, we, you know, got it all done. We figured it all out. Sorted it all out from A, from A to Z, from that, Algeria right. to Zimbabwe. That's right. <laughs> we did it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's right, folks. From A to Z, this podcast is brought to you by Amazon. We have sold out, folks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Fuck Amazon. Uh, we did uh, get a spam email from someplace claiming they would pay us $7,000 a day <laughs> if we would let them advertise a, a bunch of random companies. On our yeah, One of them yeah. was Nike, and I was just like, well, you do not know us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I want to know like who clicks on those and be- like you really believe somebody's going to give you $7,000 a day for your Facebook page that has 3,000 followers. I mean, All people right. are pretty stupid. Name there's bunch a of numbers. There's a yeah, there's a there's a big scam on Twitter. I get message requests from these bots all the time that just send me like a crypto login, like a crypto <laughs> wallet login, and they're like, "Help me manage my money." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Really great work, guys. You wouldn't last a minute <laughs> managing my money. <laughs> I did actually see this. Don't really... let your financial planner see you playing this game. <laughs> There's this dope like uh, TikTok I saw from, I think it's from, pretty sure it's from Chinese TikTok, where, which as we all know, is the different TikTok where it's bad because the state regulates it and so kids see less bullshit, which is how you know that TikTok is actually a weapon or something. Yeah, no. I, I, whatever the hell Congress was talking about last week with their sinophobic nonsense. That was very, that was wild. Not like here in the land of liberty where I have endless Rick Lacks videos making <laughs> uh, shitty recipes on the countertop for yeah, some well, reason. Well, a bunch of sitting congressmen spent like, I don't know, three hours or however the hell long that 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 testimony was constantly harassing a Singaporean man and calling him Chinese. Yeah, I mean, that was embarrassing even by American standards. But what was the TikTok you saw? <laughs> no. So there was, there was this Chinese TikTok and it was a, it was it showed like this. It was basically, it looks like it's like a Kung Fu master training montage. And so it's this, you know, older guy, probably, you know, 60, 70, and this like young buff dude. And they're both like synchronized doing all these really cool martial arts moves. And then they like sit down to eat afterwards. And like the, the, they're, they like, he like pours out some wine or whatever. And they're, they're, they're eating. And then he looks at his phone and I don't know what it says. Cause again, it's in, it's in Mandarin. Um, but you can, but the thing is, that's the thing. This is why it's an effective TikTok. You don't need to read it to understand what it's talking about. And it said, and it shows like 5,000 yen question mark. And then it shows the like Kung Fu master guy, like going to like enter yes on it. And the younger guy tries to like explain to him, no, no, that's, you shouldn't do that. You don't know who that is. And then he like hits him with this, like, like one inch punch type thing and like knocks him across <laughs> the room. And then like the next scene is like an, a state official coming in and being like, no, no, he was right. This is a scam. You should always pay attention and make sure you know who you're getting these messages from. Hell yeah. <laughs> so it was a PSA, but it was like actually entertaining and about something important. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, what, if only there was education in the United States about all the millions of different kinds of scams, like, mm-hmm. people are just, like, at the whims of, you know, what, like, 
Facebook Marketplace or as it used to be Craigslist check fraud, uh, you know, advertisements or whatever, you know? Now I get all these texts. For me, the scams are like, oh, we, uh, sorry, we canceled your, like, Amazon delivery order. Click here to fix it. And mm-hmm. I've almost gotten tricked by those and, and, and been like, wait, why'd you cancel my... And then realize, wait, that's probably not real. I should check my email. They keep thinking that I am uh, at a much higher station in life than I'm at. They're like, your <laughs> car's warranty is expired. And I'm like, I drive an 01, motherfucker. <laughs> Come at oh. me. That car is 20... 20- Two years old. <laughs> never owned a car with a warranty. I've never owned life. a car where the fabric on the interior of the car wasn't falling down from the ceiling. <laughs> I specifically got in a pitched argument that I still get mad about with the car, the used car salesman who sold me my car, telling him I didn't want his bullshit warranty after he just got done telling me how reliable a Honda is. <laughs> Look, I'm buying a Honda classic. for a reason, so I don't get scammed. Everybody, right. your number one scam identification and uh, <laughs> joke cracking podcast. My name is John. <laughs> I'm Dan, and hey, it's important to know about scams because this is America. It is a scam based economy and has been since the start. That's true. <laughs> I'm Lena, and I agree with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and we are all collectively entirely listener supported. So thank you so much if you support us on Patreon. It really does go a long way. Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already. And if you want some stickers, just message us on Patreon and we will get them to you because we love getting stickers to our supporters. If you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or you can send us a message identifying a funny scam you've seen in the wild. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So we're going to start off this episode following up on the French general strike that's been an ongoing. I mean, protests against the Macron regime have intensified in the wake of his announcement that he will not back down from attacking the French pension system. He also said that he's taking extra steps to make sure that this pension change where, you know, it increased the retirement age by two years will come into effect by the end of the year. And because of that, there has been an escalation in violence from the state and then also people fighting back against that. Uh, back on Thursday, it was reported that there were, and this is interesting because I'm having a hard time finding how many protesters were injured because all of these uh, publications want to talk about how many police were injured. On Thursday, there were about 150 police that were injured. And then uh, apparently there was a survey that was asking uh, why do you think this is? And about 70% of the people surveyed, according to France 24, which is like the CNN of France, uh, say that the violence is explicitly due to state repression. So I don't think that the French people are very, uh, you know... Uh, under any illusions that this is just, you know, outside agitators as the, you know, right-wing press, uh, capitalist press, or, you know, capitalist state press would like people to believe. Yeah, and, I mean, the protests, I, I would imagine folks have, we've, you know, we've been covering it, but this is 
finally, if not getting the level of coverage I think it deserves, has at least, you know, penetrated into the the mainstream media coverage because, again, not last Thursday, there were hundreds of thousands protesting in Paris. According to the Interior Ministry, 119,000 people. But I feel like I saw a couple of TikToks that had at least that many people in it just in the video. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that was pro- that's probably a uh, lowball uh, guess. Yeah, but even and that's still, like what? That's like five percent of Paris's full population. Yeah, it's like because it's basically would be even even with their number, that's like the equivalent of almost half a million protesting in say New York. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty, pretty big. big. And yeah, and like as you said, there's been constant police attacks against the protesters. Uh, there have been at least. There were at least 77 people in Paris alone arrested uh, during Thursday's protests and 172 across the country. Those are, I mean, almost certainly far, far lower than now because, again, the protests have been rolling continuously since Macron rammed through the pension law using the bizarre monarchical statute in the Fifth Republic Constitution that allows him to just skip the whole letting people vote on a law thing <laughs> and pass it by decree. But one of the things I did think was interesting, though, is some of the parallels between the police response to these protests and what we see here in the United States, you know, just some of the idea sharing that goes on between the the various, you know, ruling classes in the imperial core, because there have been, you know, a lot of scenes of violence of just, like very obvious violence started by the police where you just, there've been tons of videos all over Twitter, Instagram, everything of just crowds of cops charging into groups of, and sometimes it's not even like protest lines. It's like the, it seems like the fringes of a protest where people are just kind of milling around. And yet you will have like dozens and dozens of cops charge in and just start wailing on people. And one of the things that I've seen in the protest about in the, uh, coverage of these protests is that a lot of those it seems like are specifically coming from special police units that were set up specifically to go after you know uh special threats just like SWAT teams are in special police units here like for instance uh the the recent murder of Tyree Nichols was by a special police unit the Scorpion unit in Memphis and there have been so many of the horrific murders of of innocent black people here in the U.S. that have been done specifically by these hyper-violent special police units that are set up to essentially be, you know, state terrorist squads to go out there and terrorize people when they are showing any kind of dissent to convince people that, hey, if I go out and protest, I do care about this, but I really don't want to get my head split open, so... Maybe I won't. And that's that, of course, they throw out the excuses. Well, you know, we, we need to be prepared for any eventuality. It's just that every eventuality seems to be uh, the people that these groups are supposedly supposed to be there to protect. Yeah. Well, and then like the next day, which is the fr- Friday uh, that just passed this past week, the 24th, uh, the number of arrests skyrocketed to over uh, 450 arrests throughout Pran- uh, throughout uh, France, throughout France. Uh, and then like the, the number of police injured. And this is so I don't know why I'm just get I have these numbers. And so 
I mean, we already saw that uh, there were, what, uh, 150 police injured. And, you know, we as, you know, we are, we say, hey, those are rookie numbers. We got to bump those numbers up. Well, the French <laughs> did it for us, folks. By Friday, there were 441 police that were reported injured. Well, well, it seems like it's really been spreading a lot because I think part of what you mentioned earlier, which is that like the media has kind of accepted that they can't ignore this anymore, is that like the photos coming out of here on Twitter and other places are just so evocative. I've seen about a half a dozen photos that are just the this is fine meme yeah. with like <laughs> dozens and dozens of French people sitting indoors in cafes, outdoors at cafes with fires and stuff burning behind them. And I also think it's interesting, Dan, that you mentioned that the special police often target the fringes of the protest it's almost like they're afraid to attack <laughs> protesters who are actively uh protesting but it's probably also to like you said it's it's a deterrent move to make people think that like oh it's not safe to be out here hard to do that though when the protests have spread across your entire city and you're actively sending hundreds of police officers to the hospital <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely no i totally agree but you've also just outed yourself as not having looked at the meme review yet oh uh, yes that's true <laughs> But yeah, and of course, in the wake of all this violence, we have seen immediate contrition from the Macron regime and a dismant. Oh, wait, no, sorry. That's the script from what he would Damn do if, if the <laughs> governments of West Europe were as progressive and liberal as they are portrayed to be uh, here in the United States. Uh, of, the response has been exactly the script you hear here. Uh, when asked about the severe violence from the special police units like the Brave M unit in Paris that has been videoed, you know, beating the shit out of protesters multiple times and caught on video threatening to send already arrested protesters to the hospital. Uh, French interior minister, uh, Gerard Darmanin, I think, uh, I'm not sure. Sure. Any, but anyways, fuck this guy because his response to protesters was quote, it is possible that individually some police often because they are tired Commit acts do not conform with what they were taught. End quote. Tired? Huh. <laughs> they're just sleepy. They don't. They have. They beat people up when they're tired. Apparently, that's just. It's the most in- disingenuous thing you could have said. Like scared, uh, anxious, panicking. Those are all obviously lies, but at least they kind of make sense. Nobody gets violent when they're tired. Yeah, like if <laughs> if I come back from a hard day at work, my next thing isn't like, all right, I got to start, you know, I got to go like beat the shit out of somebody. It's like, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. It's the precise opposite of resorting to extreme violence. Yeah, well, and people who didn't take a nap were uh, <laughs> protesters in Bordeaux, right? That's how this mm-hmm. Bordeaux, yeah, uh, where they had gotten to the point where they felt it was appropriate to uh, set the city hall ablaze, which, uh, <laughs> you know, so the, just the, a thing people do. Extremely cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because this is, I mean, look, this is one of those things where people just, I can't believe there's so much unrest. It's like, okay, everybody who says that cl- claims to believe in democracy. All right, well, 75% of the country says they don't want this pension reform. The president didn't even put it to a vote and just passed it by decree. There have been record protests in the street with millions of people saying, we don't want this law. And the government continues to refuse to listen to people. So what are they supposed to do? Like, well, they've tried all of your peaceful methods and those aren't working. 
So if you want to be mad at any of the violence or the like, you know, property damage or whatever, you should be mad at the French government for causing it. Mm-hmm. Well, and we want to kind of examine. There's been like cons- we already talked a little bit about some of the the issues, but like about fifteen as of Thursday, I guess the report that I got this from was is that like fifteen percent of petrol stations are experiencing like extreme sor- shortages due to like refineries being blocked. Uh, there are there's like major transportation services such as trains and planes. I mean, air travel is uh, seeing up to thirty percent disruption in many different cities. And there are workers who, though they have, especially, I mean, sanitation workers, though they have been ordered by courts to return to work, they are not returning to work and instead blockading the, the sanitation facilities that they're supposed to work at continuing, which is why there's just tons and tons of trash all over, you know, not only Paris, but all over France. I mean, and, that's- uh, yeah. That's the power of the workers. You change the material conditions when you go on strike or you protest. And I think it's the antidote to a lot of people who said in the run-up to this, like, oh, France just does this from time to time. They'll all go back to work soon, which is eminently not the case. Well, I also love that the response from the French uh, sanitation workers was not just, oh, you're telling us we have to go back to work? No, fuck you, Uh, which is also great by itself. They've actually expanded the trash strike Uh, today on Monday, the 27th workers at a major trash incinerator just outside Paris. That is all supposed to handle, you know, a lot of this trash that's been piling up on the street. They have now joined the strike as well. So, uh, the court's uh, whole attempt of, well, no, you have to go back to work or else has not only failed, it has backfired and made the strike even bigger. Uh, (laughs) did you say or else? I'm pretty sure we said or else first. So fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, the, the Louvre is shut down, which is like the world's most visited museum. And the those uh, the entrances to that are blockaded. And this is only going to escalate because the next major day of protest that has been called by French unions is Tuesday, the 28th. So I guess the day that this comes out, which means that this is not going to settle down. This is just going to continue. Yeah. yeah. So I, eyes eyes on France as we we continue to watch this. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough confrontation, and it's it's one of those things where like I'm sure there are a lot of trade union leaders who are very frustrated with the fact that they now have to. There are some who I'm sure are very much like, yes, we now have you know working class energy out in the streets. We're going to shut this shit down. But then I'm sure there are also some on the more what is usually called moderate uh, type who are all very frustrated that they have to be handling a, a protest like this. And this is these are the sorts of times that show the difference between those two types of union leadership. And so I'm hoping that it's the former in the, the French trade union movement that win out and are buoyed by the support of the French working class. Yeah, Absolutely. And coming back to the United States, we want to talk about the teacher strike that happened in L.A. this past week where and I mean, like we've covered so many different higher education strikes, but this is not uh, like, you know, professors or anything like this is like uh, 
public schools, the elementary, middle, and high school teachers, uh, where 30,000 school staff in L.A. walked out on a three-day work stoppage to protest unsustainably low pay. And at the same time, the 30,000 teachers refused to cross the picket line by launching a sympathy strike, which shut down basically all of the schools for three days. And, And L.A. is the second largest city in the country, so this is incredibly significant. Yeah, this strike was really cool because it's got so many elements that we love to see. You've got teachers striking. We love seeing that. Teachers, you know, are some of the more militant members of the working class in the U.S. and, of course, some of the most highly unionized. But also wall-to-wall solidarity because while the school staff in the L.A. school district are not in the same union as the teachers, uh, you know, the teachers have their union and the school staff are in the SEIU. They're in SEIU Local 99. Both unions are working in unison because of the understanding, of course, that without either of them, the school could not run. And that is really great because, as we'll see, that really amplifies the power of both groups. So the the group that launched this strike are the school staff, the cafeteria workers, the bus drivers, the custodians, and paraprofessionals, all these other vital school workers without whom the schools just couldn't operate. And they've been bargaining with the LA Unified School District since last April without having been able to reach a new contract. And these workers are really underpaid. Uh, Before this strike, they had been averaging, again, not a minimum, they had been averaging just $25,000 a year, which uh, for... Uh, reference is uh, the same as making twelve fifty an hour, and this is for workers in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> uh, twelve fifty is not a living wage in the middle of nowhere, and certainly is nowhere near a living wage in L.A., which, when actually calculated, is a minimum of forty four thousand dollars. Yeah, and like we also got to remember that teachers consistently work unpaid hours. Like we always got to remember that like if they're probably even if we're calculating that based on a 40-hour work week and that's actually what they're scheduled, it's very likely that they're working 60 hours. Well, and school staff too end up, uh, you know, working all this extra time and 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 so Absolutely. like uh and and so there was a quote from uh, Jeanette Verbera, who told in these times, uh, who's, she's a special education assistant. She said, quote, I'm a single mother. And for the past 20 years, I have worked two and sometimes three jobs just to support my family. How do we properly service our students when we're being overworked and underpaid and disrespected? End quote. And that's just like, yeah, like you're out there. You're, she's a special education assistant, so she's helping. You know, some of the students that need the most additional, like, uh, staff time and and face to face with with a worker in order to help their education go along. And then she's having to go out and go to her second job, and then maybe on the weekends doing some gig work or something on top of that, all just to be able to get by and like. We always said, this is one of the, you know, you always go with the the teachers have that really great slogan because it's correct, which is their working conditions are students' learning conditions. And Mm -hmm. so if for whatever reason, you know, somebody, you know, can't bring up the empathy to just be like, well, this, you know, this woman shouldn't have to work two to three jobs because nobody should have to work two to three jobs. In the case of school workers, there's also the additional thing that, you know, the more you make these folks' conditions suffer and crappier and crappier, that's just going to make our schools worse and less effective because how are you supposed to do an effective job teaching 
if you are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's, you, you just can't do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And luckily, I mean, these unions are pretty much in total solidarity with their contract negotiations. Um, they point out that despite the city's massive $5 billion surplus, uh, the offer they've received over the last year has been, quote, very paltry and stingy, end quote. Uh, the city is offering a 5% annual raise to uh, for each of the three years of their contract proposal, uh, seems pretty low. Uh, due to the rampant ongoing inflation and the broader cost of living crisis, as well as the already far, far too low baseline salaries, workers are demanding a 10% per year, or mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I don't want to, uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, even with the 10%, this would really only compensate for inflation, but I mean, help bring the baseline wages closer to being livable. Uh, even with just the 10% per year, the starting wage of the lowest paid school staff would still be about $33,000 at the end of the contract, which, as we pointed out just before, is uh, $11,000 short. Yeah. So due to the fact that, again, these workers have been bargaining with the city since last April, so for a year, and they still haven't been able to get them to agree to a reasonable deal. Local 99 launched a three-day strike last week from March 21st through the 23rd, shutting down the schools for three days to demonstrate not only their unity, but how vital these workers are to the operation of the school system and really the existence of L.A. as a city. Uh, They've also, of course, during this process, uh, the school district has not just been sitting around being neutral and has been trying to interfere with it. And so Local 99 was forced to file ULPs against the school district for surveilling and harassing members for union activity during the stalled negotiations. Um, but in addition to local 99 workers walking off on strike, of course, the UTLA teachers, then, you know, they're not going to go teach in a school where that's all, where there's a picket line in front of it. And so you had them de facto joining the strike, doubling its size to 60,000 workers, shutting down a school district that normally services over like 500,000 kids. So this is a big strike. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you see that like these teachers are absolutely aware and, and everybody who's on strike really is absolutely aware of the broader role that they play in their community. Uh, and they're, they're not just trying to better their own conditions, but also build better communities broadly for their students. And so we've seen from the teachers union who work closely with community organizations and who is doing door to door outreach, talking to parents and students have actually developed a program called beyond recovery to use their organized power to force the district to implement social justice programs. So another point for unions being political, it's always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, The program would raise teacher salaries by 20% over three years while hiring more in order to reduce class sizes included in the broad-based program is a vision of offering counseling support instead of police, an immigration defense fund, a comprehensive climate justice curriculum, support for unhoused youth and families, community schools, clean water, and protections against charter schools on public school campuses. So, I mean, as you can see, it really is a broad-based platform. They're not just sitting around saying like, oh, you know, uh, we could probably get away with doing one political thing. We could probably get away with having one level of community involvement. Involvement. No, I mean, they're, they're saying like, look, in for a penny, in for a pound. If we want to fix this community, we have to set about really trying to do it. I think that's really laudable. Yeah, and recognizing that this 
is a more viable path to realizing these goals through the use of organized worker power rather than waiting to rely on our elected bourgeois politicians who we would know are never going to do this shit unless they're forced to. Mm-hmm. And the people who do have that power in our unfortunately, you know, low level of organizing today is people like the teachers. And we've seen successes of this too in the past. Like teachers in Boston just last year began including clauses like this in their contract negotiations and have won programs from the city that force them to invest funds and provide locations to help get unhoused students actual housing. So like this stuff is fantastic. Like this is for me, one of the most uh, inspiring and really exciting things going on in the labor movement right now is, is are these sorts of political demands that teachers are putting in their contracts. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. we also have this quote here from Mark Ramos, a social studies teacher at the UTLA board or and UT, UTLA board member, who told Liberation News, "quote Many of the folks on this line are also are also parents here, and they can't even afford to feed their kids." This is an unjust act that shouldn't happen at any public institution where our goal for the future of this nation is to teach children, end quote. And, I mean, that's just pointing out the basics. Like, you know, do we actually care about our communities? Well, then fucking show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they, you know, they've also pointed out there, they're like, you know, the city officials always say they agree we need more staff to meet the needs of the students. They say we need to invest in kids and then they don't fucking do it. My brother (laughs) in Christ, you control the budget (laughs) and the conditions of the contract. Yeah. So they're like, all right, fine. Let's see your, your uh, commitment. We're going to go out there and demand these things. And they also point out that it's real rich, you know, that you, you hear all of these progressive things from the elected officials who then don't actually act on it, while at the same time paying the superintendent of the, the United L.A. School District $440,000 a year. Meanwhile, the starting teacher's salary is like $44,000 a year. Literally one tenth of it, just so, barely so, enough. They, like the the bare minimum of like the approaching a minimum wage in that area. Yeah. So, I mean, this also ties back into work that was done in the last contract struggle by these workers back in 2019 when workers in LA launched their first strike in 30 years. And as a part of that one, specifically more resources for immigrant students, an end to random police searches in school and a new district program to expand available green space. So this beyond recovery program is building off of work that these folks have already been doing over the last few years. And you know, when you actually have 60,000 workers united and shutting down the second biggest school district in the country, uh, it's kind of hard <laughs> for the local politicians to fight back against that. And this strike has already been very effective because literally the day after the strike ended, last Friday, March 24th, SEIU Local 99 announced that they had reached a tentative agreement with the city, and the new contract includes exactly the raise that the workers have been demanding, 30% over the three-year contract, bringing up the average pay of the lowest-paid workers from $25,000 to $33,000. And in addition, they're also getting $4,000 to $8,000 in retroactive pay as well. And so now workers will vote on the deal over the next week. 
Yeah, and like I, th- I think that this is slightly different than our uh, often gripe of like you know ending a strike. But I think that the, the three day strike was specifically voted on as a three day strike. So yes. this is not actually a violation of democracy here with them being back at the in the classrooms while trying to vo- while voting on this tentative agreement. Yeah, and it was really great to see like. Uh, reflecting on that that solidarity because as part of their statement, you know, announcing their new tentative agreement, the school staff thanked the teachers for standing with them, saying, quote, together we stood in the rain holding picket signs and umbrellas. We marched, we chanted, we sang from before the sun was up and through the day, through the wind and through the rain. Our solidarity is stronger than ever, end quote. Hell oh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's always <laughs> so good to hear stuff like that. I mean, I, I I grew up thinking that like when somebody was like really sincere uh, about something that they really meant, it was often just corny and meant to be derided. But when you see workers who actually achieve stuff for themselves and then they feel good about it, I'm like, man, that's that's authentic right there, you know? Right in the wholesome channel. Right. That's right. <laughs> Hit me right in the wholesome bone. Ow, my wholesome bone. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, to move to our next story, though, we are going to talk about a really great development in the Trader Joe's United movement with two different announcements on the exact same day this past Wednesday. So on March 20th... Union Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So on March 22nd, uh, the two, two different Trader Joe's locations filed for a union election to uh, be represented not, you know, with any other union, but specifically with the independent Trader Joe's United movement, which is really, really impressive that they're building up their independent uh, union movement. Uh, You know, they they had already won elections in Massachusetts, Minneapolis, and Louisville, but uh, now they're actually going to be hitting the bigger parts of the coast with a store in Manhattan, New York City, and in Oakland, California. So, uh, I don't know. This is starting to snowball. And I mean, like, I think organizing a Trader Joe's is slightly different than like a Starbucks because the Starbucks you're organizing like between, you know, 15 and 40 people. And uh, Trader Joe's is organizing like 100 people, right? I mean, that's. that's, Yeah, or maybe more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit more of an in depth endeavor. But uh, these workers have shown that, you know, it's going to keep growing. Yeah. So uh, we got, you know, two new union announcements. They're bi-coastal, but both of them have have really pointed to issues of uh, health and safety as being really core to what inspired them to file for a union. Uh, The workers at the Essex Crossing Trader Joe's on the Lower East Side in Manhattan had been discussing unionizing for a little while, uh, And specifically when the company abruptly stopped COVID protections in 2021, basically the minute that vaccines became available, workers got really frustrated at the management's refusal to listen to their concerns about, you know, the fact that the just because there's vaccines doesn't mean the pandemic is over and you should just drop everything. Uh, You know, of course, the government hasn't listened to that, but. Uh, one of, there have been other issues too that have really uh, bothered them, and one of them is the fact that there was literally raw sewage leaking out of the store ceiling. 
That's fucking disgusting. How many times are we going to have a story where it's like the workers only had one little gripe? The store was infested with horrible bile from this capitalist <laughs> industry. Yeah, from like, the hellmouth in the store's free, uh, like freezer. But yeah, yeah an abyssal uh, portal opened up in the tile floor. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Gothamist recently reported on this where management did temporarily close the store when raw sewage was leaking out of the ceiling onto food. Uh, but they provided very little leadership and guidance on how to actually rectify the situation. Workers were asked to help clean up the sewage without any extra PPE. And some also ended up getting their pay docked because the store closed early because of the sewage. As if they're like, well, you only got a half day, so we're not paying you. It's like, well, you closed the store because your ceiling was leaking sewage. That's Mm -hmm. not the worker's fault. But they also pointed out that you know, hazard pay for COVID was dropped suddenly without any discussion with the workers. And it was only ever even put into place in the first place because of response from public pressure. And so their goal is that by building their union, that they hope to be able to have a say in improving their own conditions all the time, not just when it makes the news. And so Gabrielle Medrano, a worker organizer at the store in New York, said uh, when speaking with Gothamist, quote, We'd like to see at the local level more transparency for management and decision-making that really takes us into account. And so uh, the 150 workers at this, the Essex Crossing store in New York City would be the first workers in the city to unionize, but not the first to try. Last year, as we've we, uh, you know mentioned on the show before, Trader Joe's closed a wine store in Manhattan specifically to stop a union drive at that store. Of course, that's technically allegedly they deny that and claim all this other nonsense but that's why they closed the store um and workers in brooklyn voted against unionizing relatively narrowly but after a vicious union busting campaign by the company including many tactics taken from the starbucks littler mendelssohn playbook uh including illegally firing one of the more prominent organizers at the store but workers at the essex crossing store say that those attacks by the company are not holding them back Bridget Arend, who has worked at the store for four years, told Gothamist, quote, there's so much excitement and energy in the store. That's really where all our focus is, end quote. Yeah. But in tandem with that, on the other side of the country, we're also seeing workers in Oakland who have launched their union drive, fascinatingly, on the very same afternoon. So we heard from the LA Times that these workers have also been dealing with health and safety issues, unsurprisingly. But instead of raw sewage uh, being the star villain this time, the problem has been rats, equally fucking disgusting. So we heard from uh, Dominique Bernardo, who has worked at the Oakland store for nearly two decades and has said she reported finding food that rats had been chewing on at the beginning of 2001. She told management, but they largely ignored it and just had her clean any rat droppings she found. Classic treating the symptom. Management did not take (laughs) any action to really solve the problem until the customers started complaining. It's fascinating this pattern of behavior where Trader Joe's is like, oh, the workers said something? Shut up. Clean it. Store's closed. You don't get paid for a full day. Customer says something? Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Let me take care of that for you right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the refusal of management to take the worker concerns seriously has been consistently one of the major issues that has uh, pushed workers at the College Ave store in Oakland to unionize. I mean, workers began unionizing last fall and, like, marched on the boss on this past Wednesday to present their letter of announcing their union drive, which is 
a really neat video. I love all these Trader Joe's like marching on the bus because the the customers are turning and they're like, wait, what's going on? Oh, they're announcing a union. Oh, shit. It's time to clap, everybody. (laughs) Imagine being in the Trader Joe's trying to buy your, like, soy chorizo or your, like, knockoff Count Chocula or whatever. And you're just like, is it someone's birthday? Oh, even better. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, And we have a quote here from the letter that they delivered that said, quote, quote, we intend to unionize because we care so deeply about our work and the relationships we have built with our customers, fellow crew and management. As we move forward in the process, we ask that you act with the integrity expected from the crew every day. Oh, End fuck. quote. Real <laughs> pointed. Just be like, hey, uh, you know how you hold us to this really high standard? Uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And so the, this Oakland uh, store crew identified an entire host of issues that they previously raised but had seen zero progress on that they hope now to finally be able to address with a union. So these include such things as wage disparities for the same work, lack of a real policy to protect workers from sexual harassment, refusal of the store to consider installing conveyor belts, which would reduce the strain on cashiers and baggers. Similar to other stores, they also identified the way raises and benefits have declined in quality over the last several years. I love these workers. And the unilateral move to revoke COVID hazard pay despite the ongoing pandemic. So besides the conveyor belts one... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but besides the conveyor belts one, those are that stuff we hear from almost every group of uh, mm-hmm. organizing workers. And then the conveyor belts thing, I'm impressed. Yeah, give those workers yeah. some fucking well, conve- conveyor belts and let them sit down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, like the the explicit saying that we still should have COVID hazard pay is really just an awesome demand. And I the conveyor belts one, I was like. I've never been in a Trader Joe's and I'm like, wait a minute, you have to like put the items up on the counter right there at the person like mm-hmm. one at like I it's like, yeah, you're there's, a, what? it's like you're at a drugstore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's different. I do like Trader Joe's, but the the whole the no conveyor belts thing always seemed like something that I okay, maybe we'd started cuz like it's from those cuz Trader Joe's is from those the same German family that owns Aldi, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe this is like a European thing. But like now, once you're this big, I'm like, now I feel like you're just doing it as both a gimmick and to just not like bother giving your workers something that would actually make their job easier. Yeah, we'll have them wear a flower shirt and be way too helpful uh, and no conveyor belts because they <laughs> remind they remind people of mechanized crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, uh, you know, John was talking about uh, Dominique Bernardo, who was a veteran employee who was talking about the rat problem. We actually have a quote from her who said, uh, and she said, quote, while we are putting our health at risk during the pandemic and our family's health at risk, and that's how they thanked us. It's just so disrespectful. You feel so devalued as a crew member when you're sacrificing so much to show up for the company. And how they repay you is to take money out of your pockets. End quote. And, like, you know, this is something that I, I think that is an underrated uh, notion is uh, don't fuck with my money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's that... um. Uh, there's that ATU protest song that it's at the end of one of our episodes. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, it's like what that's definitely one of my favorite modern protest songs. Um, 
but yeah, so this is really exciting. Love to see the growth of the Trader Joe's movement. Workers at both stores have asked the company to voluntarily recognize their union and refrain from any union busting tactics. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us or really any of the workers in the union are expecting that to happen. Trader Joe's has been adamantly against the existence of the union, uh, and they have rolled out a whole lot of very American, very Littler Mendelssohn style union busting tactics in the past. But based on, you know, the level, just level of coordination, launching these on the same day, the video of that march on the boss, like the there, the level of organization at those two stores is clearly, you know, pretty advanced. So I, I'm optimistic about, about both of their chances on, on these. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, with just the amount of energy that they've shown at the very beginning of this, is really, really uh, heartening and and to to see them doing this. But uh, our next story is, a, is kind of a follow-up. In fact, it's one of the longest-running stories that we've had. In fact, I think we were running stories about this before Dan was even on the show. And uh, that yeah. is <laughs> the Indian farmers' protests that have seemingly happened every single year and honestly throughout the year most of the time. And so once again... Indian farmers have taken to the streets in mass to protest government policies, and once again, they have emerged victorious. Back on March 12th, thousands of farmers in the state of Maharashtra began to began a long march uh, to the capital of Mumbai to demand action to improve their conditions. Less than a week later, after starting their march, the state government was forced to agree to their demands. Uh, it was in the... Well, I'll get to exactly how long this march was later, but the farmers made up of many different organizations, but led by the All Indian Kisan Saba. Saba? Yeah, I, I think it Kisan Saba. I think Kisan Saba. Okay. Yeah, uh, the the National Farmers Organization affiliated with the CPIM, the Communist Party of India, um, Maoist, I believe. In the, in parentheses, oh Marxist, uh, yeah. <laughs> Marxist in parentheses. Uh, there, there would have been more explosions and like dead police if it was Maoist. <laughs> okay, okay, I didn't know that. Um, because is there is there's a CPIM Maoist right? There, there yes. yeah, there, there's multiple. So there's CP. Yeah, I, spe- I suppose I should have spelled it out. Yeah, there's CPIM Marxist and there's CPIM Maoist. Okay. Which there also used to be CPI Marxist Leninist, which might still exist. I'm not sure. There's a lot of different communists in India, which is very cool, but does make things a little difficult to keep I mean, track of. It's yeah. a big country. Yeah. yeah it's true. It's true. <laughs> Well, they've been fighting since their earlier victory against the neoliberal farm law uh, farm laws uh, for an increased subsidized minimum price for uh, staple crops. The farmers drew up a 17-point charter of demands, including higher minimum prices for crops, waivers for electricity bill increases for farmers, guarantees of electricity for at least 12 hours a day in rural areas and increased insurance for farmers in the case of extreme weather, which can devastate crops. And those are amazing. I love the way that they are really about like laying out their demands very clearly and also backing it up with very, very strong protests. And this March is uh, really impressive, and I, I have a comparison, but I don't know if everyone's going to get it. Though, anyway, the workers began their march in the city of Nashik, 
dumping uh, vegetables uh, in the streets to protest the fact that prices are so low and they cannot really afford to live by selling them. Growers of onions have been particularly militant as their prices have dropped through the floor. The uh, workers began a 250-kilometer march from Nasik to Mumbai, which uh, this is the comparison I was talking about, is about the same distance of Grand Rapids to Detroit. So from one side of Michigan to the other side of Michigan. So you're talking like, like a three, <laughs> three and a half hour drive. It's two and a half-ish, two and a half, three, oh, okay. but yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but that's how far people, that's a, that is a long walk. Mm-hmm. Um they and you know they were immediately asked to stop by the BJP government who promised to address their concerns however as is in the the standard way in which these farmers protests work the workers responded by refusing to turn back at just a mere promise saying that they would wait to see the actions of the government first yeah that's correct (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean i love this stuff like the energy is is fantastic i love well that's the other thing too is that like maybe it's maybe i just think about this this way because of like reporting bias where we it only breaks through when it's really big but i almost feel like the 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 farmers in india like don't do small protests it's more just like oh no there's this big fucking problem let's get everybody together and fucking shut this down which rocks because it's been super effective yeah um well and i mean it it's interesting that they were um you know that the onion uh farmers were particularly motivated because their prices had gone so low because it's like hey look all of our prices are down uh you onion guys i know you're hurting and it's just like I think if you have enough mass movement and you have like the training that comes with having gone out and done these kind of movements before, you can really generate like a lot of power in a way that I think the BJP is probably not prepared for. And I think maybe the Democrats and Republicans also wouldn't be prepared Mm. for. But, you know, speculation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, the BJP is just like, oh, the farmers are moving again. Oh, we're we might have to move this time. We might mm-hmm. actually have to really, I mean, well, they, they, although these farmers protests have been historically pretty successful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, continuing in that vein, when the attempt to like get them to stop, uh, marching by, by making a vague promise of support did not work. And the March continued, uh, the BJP government in less than a week was basically like, all right, fine, go back to work, please. Go back to producing the food that we need. Uh, with, what did you want? Yeah, 17-point charter, sure. Yeah, whatever. And they actually, like, went and, you know, started the legislative process of, they uh, specifically, they agreed to raise the minimum subsidized price for onion farmers and other crops to raise the price of their goods. They agreed to include farmers in government loan for forgiveness programs to help with the debt burden, as well as a whole bunch of the other demands, which is, like, it's just... Again, this stuff is it's so impressive, and but it's it's such a demonstration. It's like, you know, the whole the, the all hitherto history, like the history of all hitherto existing society, is the history of class struggle. Here you go. There mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> right there. Class struggle advancing society forward. 
Yeah, and I mean, following the government's agreement to meet their demands, the farmers returned home victorious. Uh, Jatendo Chopti, uh, a leader in the farmers' movement, said afterwards, quote, We are leaving after winning. If the government betrays us, we will return with bigger numbers in six months. <laughs> and it just like, damn. That is like... Because, I mean, they have been betrayed before, and they have mm-hmm. returned before, so this is not an empty threat. This is a fuck-around-and-find-out sort of proposition. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, like, envisioning the whole group just, like, getting together and, like, yeah, and then all stopping at one and turning to look at the government and be like, now don't fuck around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back to check. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And it, it rules, and they're also, like... This was just focused in the state of Maharashtra. Like the national movement still continues on. Like there is a mass mobilization planned for uh, just actually next week, I, I believe, uh, to bring the demands that the farmers just won there in Maharashtra to the national government. At least 10,000 farmers from just that region are expected to take part in the na- nationwide protest, w- which will begin on April 5th. And a young farmer named uh, Jagdish told NewsClick reporters, quote, hundreds of thousands of farmers and laborers will gather in Delhi on April 5th. Just like we made the BJP government of Maharashtra bow down, they will also do a similar thing with the Narendra Modi government in Delhi. Hell <laughs> yeah. Man, I, these, uh, these like farmers, they know what power they have. They are very, very aware of of the amount of leverage that they hold against this, you know, conservative, very conservative government. Yeah, I mean, it's it rules. It it's so because it's seeing the recognition that that it's like this is like this is visually what you get with class consciousness. It's that understanding of the power of unified action. And, you know, here it's, it's farmers, but, you know, we see the same thing with, with all sorts of workers. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. You love to see it. Absolutely. And so our next story, we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, like, good news win stories this week. It's kind of weird. Huh? Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the good vibes chat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is a real change up from the, all of the child labor and, and you know, doom and gloom ending episodes on sad stories kind of thing. Hey, yeah, save it for next week. week, Lena. Get that <laughs> out of <right>. here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've got some more international news where, you know, we've been covering the ongoing strikes in the UK for almost a year now. I think technically it's like nine months. And one of the first major unions and have really kind of become the face, at least for us of the protests have been the RMT, the rail workers. And finally this week, after months and months of rolling strikes across the country and, you know, the constant statements from the Tory government, whether it be under, uh, you know, Boris Johnson or uh, what's her name who was in there for like a week. And the lettuce. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. The, the lettuce. <laughs> she was a lettuce. Oh, yeah, the lettuce lady. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, or now the Rishi Sunak government. Every time Liz it's all Truss? nope. That's yes, right. That's right. <laughs> there we go. We got there. Uh, but all, every time it was no. We will never give in. We will never surrender to the English working class. Uh, and, and and but despite all that, this week workers ratified a new agreement with Network Rail that included far higher wage increases than the government had said were possible. Uh, you know, what a surprise, a bourgeois government lying. Um, 
The British one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So last Wednesday, March 22nd, the RMT announced that 76% of its 20,000 workers had voted to accept a new contract with Network Rail, which Network Rail is, you know, for Americans who, like me, don't know anything about the British rail system, which used to be public and pretty well run and is now private and is falling apart. Um, and so network rail is basically this umbrella group that is a semi public entity that kind of runs the rail infrastructure that you then have the rail operators that actually do like the day-to-day management of the various rail lines. And so network rail is, is kind of the, the center point of a lot of these negotiations because once they have an agreement with the union, that sets the stage for the whole thing. And during these negotiations, the whole time from the, when this started nine months ago to now, the government has been adamant, look, the best we can do, 3% raise. Can't do any more than that. Does it matter that it's 12% inflation? Nope. We can only give you a 3% raise. <laughs> well, apparently that's yet, not true. Yeah, it turns out that was a lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, at nine months of rolling industrial action, constant shutdowns, and some is lasting as long as four days, shutting down like all of the major rail lines in the country, workers have ratified a new contract with a raise of 15%, not 3%. That is a raise that is actually a real raise than inflation, a real raise. Uh, now it's, it's the lowest paid workers are the ones getting the real raise. And some of the higher paid workers are unfortunately taking what is technically a real terms pay cut. Uh, uh, there are some higher paid workers who will only be getting a 10% raise, uh, which is again, still a hell of a lot higher than the 3% that the Tories were claiming was the maximum they could possibly give. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly that what this does is it sets a precedent for all of the other workers on strike. Absolutely. And the workers also want increased back pay. So, you know, oh, and, but more important because the raises are vital because, you know, the whole thing is in the context of the cost of living crisis, but there were other critical issues that the RMT has been fighting over the whole time. And a lot of that has to do with the safety of the rail network because of how the government's like pr- privatization of the network has encouraged capitalist practices of leaning out your workforce and skimping on maintenance. And so this new contract prevents the government from issuing layoffs to rail personnel for the next two years. Uh, so this, despite the fact that the government was insisting that they had to cut thousands of jobs to keep the network competitive, uh, it turns out once the workers actually flexed a little bit of that uh, industrial action muscle, that also wasn't true. <laughs> it's so uh, funny how the government story changes really rapidly the harder you twist their arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they also fought off attempts by Network Rail to force workers to agree to reduction in maintenance under the guise of so-called modernization. So, I mean... Let's see. They got raises five times what the government said they could give, and for most of the workers, an actual raise. Uh, they stopped the government from being able to slash maintenance, and they stopped the government from being able to do mass layoffs. I got to say, I think that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, and so, like, while, you know, there have been some folks that, are, that have been like, well, you know, it's not a real, it's a, not a full raise for everyone. That's true. But, considering the victories on stopping layoffs, which that's huge. Again, this was thousands of workers who were slated to be laid off. 
and protecting the maintenance of the system. I know it's not as, as sexy as like a bigger raise as an item, but those are incredibly important, like not just for these workers, but really for all of British society. And the fact that they were able to force the Tories to back down on that when they have, you know, such a powerful hold over the government, I think makes this a really like a pretty big win for a new contract. Yeah, I mean, and again, comparing it to the United States, we definitely can't get safety into our contracts very easily. Yeah, and and also, like, you had 76% of the workers or so uh, approving of the deal, and on 90% turnout. So, like, that's really high. You, you can tell, you know, despite the fact that it's been nine months, workers are very, still much energized and really involved in this struggle. And so, like, that high turnout, that high level of approval, I think shows that most of the workers are happy with the victories that this has won. And, like, this will now open the path forward for the individual train line operators bargaining as the rail delivery group uh, to be able to reach a deal with the RMT. Uh, Because, you know, while this real deal has been reached with network rail, uh, as of this recording, I believe, although of course this is all changing very rapidly, um, there has not been a new deal reached with the rail delivery group. And so there's been some advance in the negotiations, enough that the union has called off planned strikes that had been uh, set to go forward on March 30th and April 1st. But until the workers vote on a new contract with the rail operators, the dispute does remain open and there could still be future strikes that could happen. But overall, I do think ultimately this is like a, it, I mean, look, strikes work. Like they said they could only give them 3%. They got 15%. I think this is very impressive and like could set the stage for just, you know, more better contracts for more workers as the Tories maybe realize that if they keep letting this strike build, that they may not be in power very much longer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like we can hope, but I, I imagine that with this, it's going to maybe intensify it faster with all of the other different uh, groups. I mean, in fact, our next little bit about this is literally about the junior doctors who have expanded their strike while the rail workers, you know, are finally making their progress, which is so great. uh, The UK junior doctors are taking their struggle like to the next level. So on Thursday, the 23rd, the doctors union, the British medical association uh, announced that because of the government and their failure to present a new offer will launch a four-day strike uh, from April 11th to 14th. And uh, in a statement, the doctor said, quote, it is with disappointment and great frustration that we must announce this new industrial action. The government has dragged its feet at every opportunity. It has not presented any credible offer and is refusing to accept that there is any case for pay restoration describing our central asks as unrealistic and unreasonable. Even yesterday, they continued to add unacceptable preconditions to talks instead of trying to find a resolution. We therefore have no confidence that without further action, these negotiations can be successful. The situation is entirely from the government's own making. We want to spend our time looking after our patients, not on strike. 
But with the NHS buckling under a workforce crisis and four in 10 junior doctors looking to leave, we cannot stand by while our pay is further eroded by inflation and an intransigent government. We are not going to stop until we are paid what we are worth. And if ministers don't accept that when we tell them in person, we will have to tell them on the picket line. End quote. And so, I mean, I think that really what they're describing there is a, you know, almost a boon of showing that, you know, organizing and fighting back and industrial action is how they will get their wins. And everyone who's on strike right now is going to be intensifying in that way to get that similar victory. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it was very shocking to learn like how low the wages for junior doctors are there. So I'm really glad to see them ramping this up. And I mean, a like doctor strike for a week, like that's gonna, yeah, it's I, huge. I mean, and yeah. like almost half of them wanting to leave. Like that is an indictment of the system. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's also an indictment of the level of care people are probably receiving. Imagine if the people providing you with care, half of them are literally on the verge of quitting. Uh, you're probably not receiving the best care possible. Well, because it's it's one of those things. It's like, you know, we, we've talked, you know, uh, plenty of times about the very common austerity tactic done by, I mean, the example is always used the Republicans here in the U.S., but it's it's really any bourgeois politician, mm-hmm. um, neoliberals especially. But of when there is a state service that you want to privatize, what you do is you, when people really like that service is you underfund it on purpose in order to lower the quality. Uh, obviously people, <laughs> public been, Republicans have been right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Republicans have been trying to do that to the post office for years and they're do, they are doing this right now actively <laughs> like the, the anti CRT panic, the attacks on teachers unions, the, the, uh, increased funding for charter schools. All of this is part of a, a austerity based program to try and privatize public education. Like, and it's already fucked up when it's done with schools, but the Tories are doing this and have been doing this for a, at least a decade in the UK to the healthcare system. So like, Obviously, of course, our privatized system that's already privatized is worse here, but like you are defunding the hospital system. So instead of the results of that being worse conditions for teachers and then kids are they 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 get they don't get the education they deserve, which is really, really bad. That's a really bad outcome. This is you are underfunding the system and so people die because it's a hospital. And that's the same thing with the privatization of, of, of healthcare in the U.S. It directly results in tens of thousands of deaths in every year. Social murder. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I think it's really encouraging to see these doctors taking a stand against that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're reaching near the end of the episode. And so as we have done in the past, but maybe not so much recently, we're going to follow up on what's happening at Starbucks. Yeah, that's right. So we saw Starbucks Workers United organize another major nationwide walkout just this week with over 100 stores across the country on strike for 24 hours. This work stoppage protested the ongoing illegal union busting campaign by the company ahead of its annual shareholder meeting. Workers in Seattle also held a separate protest at Starbucks corporate HQ. And these protests come during the same week that Howard Schultz announced he would be stepping down prematurely as CEO. CEO again for the third time or something like that, <laughs> just a week before he is scheduled to testify in front of the Senate 
Help Committee about the company's illegal war against its own workers. And to which we only have to say... uh, (laughs) Rip Bozo. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's right. correct. Absolutely. And, and so in announcing this nationwide work stoppage, the union pointed out the hypocrisy you know, of the company's statements compared to its actions. Quote, while the company keeps a metaphorical empty chair for us in the boardroom, we're demanding a real seat at the table. End quote. Which, by the way, excellent turn of phrase. <laughs> it's also yeah. so insane that they keep an empty chair there. Like, why don't mm-hmm. you just give us an imaginary pizza party and cut out the fucking middleman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And so, uh, this involved uh, stores. This you know, hundred stores was over half the states in the country, from California to Massachusetts, from Washington to Florida. And uh, one worker, Sarah Pappen, who is a Starbucks worker in Seattle, told The Guardian, quote, Starbucks baristas like me are the ones who keep our stores running. We remember our customers' regular orders, make the lattes, clean up spills, and are often the bright spot of our customers' days. We are the heart and soul of Starbucks. Instead of celebrating the law-breaking former CEO hell-bent on silencing us, Starbucks should respect our right to organize and meet us at the bargaining table. We are Starbucks, and we deserve better, end quote. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then what? The new guy comes in and says he's going to work in the stores one day a month to to figure out what it's like. And I'm like, uh, that it's just like such a uh, a ridiculous tactic that is used by so many different managers. I've literally seen it done before. And you know what happens on those days? The store is fully staffed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, uh, the people who are there working are still only doing the work of an understaffed store because the manager is in the fucking way. He's saying once a month he's going to go greatly inconvenience the workers at a store. That's <laughs> and right. The best, the thing, though, I thought was funniest is you didn't, it, it wasn't in the headline, but if you dug into that article, he also said it would only be half a shift. So, like, oh, my God. Well, can't even make it a full shift. Can't even like, handle five hours <laughs> like he's, well, he's just like, like four is my cutoff <laughs> dude the no one is demanding to unionize because they really want to be on the shittiest episode of undercover boss just bargain with the goddamn union yeah no yeah i mean what the workers are asking for is uh shareholders to approve a third-party investigation into the company's union busting to demonstrate mm-hmm. that they have violated the company's own policy on worker treatment of course the union is not holding its breath that the company will self-police and uh, hence has gone with these nationwide strikes as a kind of backup to that and this week they also unveiled their demands for a nationwide contract that include a minimum wage of 20 to 25 dollars an hour depending on the location full paid health care including full benefits for gender affirming care for trans workers in both full and part-time workers and like that's huge because they very mm-hmm. much so love to just like cut people's hours to cut them out of their health care but then mm-hmm. in a similar vein, the uh, they're demanding a right to regular repeated weekly schedule for at least a month with a guaranteed minimum of 32 hours per week for full-time workers and 20 for part-timers, and then also credit card tipping in every store to make it easier for them to get tipped. Uh, the guaranteed hours, repeated schedules, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. If anybody has ever worked in like the service industry, you know for a fact that you never have the same days. Like you, Maybe someone who's been there for five, ten years can manage to be like, oh, I just don't work on Saturdays and Sundays. 
Saturdays or I just don't work on, you know, Thursdays and Fridays or whatever. That is so few people. It is it is not really like emblematic of actual policies by these companies and to have a schedule that doesn't change for a month allows you to plan so much more of your life it it would truly be a great improvement to the working conditions of these of these starbucks workers yeah i mean these are some absolutely fantastic demands really great dems which is short for demands now uh (laughs) the democrats have lost the privilege that's right (laughs) we're reclaiming that word that's right um uh, but yeah, and I mean, it's very clear, I think, you know, ex- exactly that, Lena, like from that, from these demands and how relevant they are that these are democratically developed and that they, you know, you can see the work that's gone into over the last year's growth as they've gone from zero stores to 290 union locations that they've, you know, taken input from all over the country and have now, you know, got nas- nation the ability to call nationwide strikes and also have this incredibly well-developed bargaining platform. And so, uh, you know, speaking with the Washington Post, uh, uh, of course, they've, they've put all this together. And so, uh, you know, Starbucks has met them at the table. And, oh, wait, no, actually. Speaking with the Washington Post, Starbucks Workers United reps said that despite 85 bargaining sessions, only two stores in Buffalo have received any reply to their contract proposals whatsoever. So, uh, think, bargain with the unfor- fucking union. Yeah, it's a disgrace. Yeah, unfortunately, like, I think it's going to take some more of these strikes. But I think, you know, the fact that they've shown that they can pull these off on relatively short notice, we're continuing to see that vital growth in the union, and it's only going to get bigger as the movement grows. Yeah. And speaking of other things that get bigger, the number of memes that we've covered on the show, that's a that's, uh, a, that's a segue, right? That's right. <laughs> but also, don't we do the same number every week? Yeah, but I mean, like, you add five each time. So oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> And then it just increments in nice, neat groups of five. I like that. That's very satisfying. Yeah. So, That's right. Meme it's review meme time. Review. Let's get in there. Uh, so we are going to start off with a share zone meme because why not? Why not just kick it off with a banger? And this is a... What is this? <laughs> it's like a guy in a in a hood I, with a scythe. Yeah, it's like a Grim Reaper ish type thing. It's, it's like looks like a Dead by Daylight um, character. Okay, <laughs> interesting. And so over it in multicolored text, it says, "How do you have hobbies? I'm ready to fall asleep at noon, and I still have to work for five hours after that." <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, many people can relate to this. Yeah, extremely relatable, I think. Yeah, it, this is like, uh, I also just am continually fascinated by all the variety in skeletons mm-hmm. and Grim Reapers that Desher Zone is able to find for all these <laughs> memes. Because this one is like, what if the Grim Reaper was like also crossed with Scarecrow from The Dark Knight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ever look at a meme creator and you're like, their skeleton folder must be banging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then that's the Venn diagram of Desher Zone and anti-communist propaganda makers from 1919. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then our next meme is a, a headline from uh, an article that was published uh, at the end of February where it said, Bay Area landlord goes on hunger strike over eviction ban. And then the photo right below just has like this, I guess. The guy know, from Letter Kenny. 
Letter yeah. Kenny. Oh, okay. Uh, he says, fuck, I could watch landlords starve all day. I don't give a shit about landlords. <laughs> yeah, because that's, which, I mean, I, I love that format mostly because, uh, isn't that, I think the actual thing that that's from is from, like, watching teens fall off bikes. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah, fuck, I could watch teens fall off bikes all day. I don't give a shit about <laughs> teens. <laughs> but, funny. yes, also, fuck landlords. Hell yeah. yeah and, uh, speaking of groups that are full of liars who we don't care about police. Uh, so this next meme, which it took me a sec to realize what this was a picture from. And then when I remembered it, it was very, uh, isn't this like this. a fake fen- fentanyl yes. overdose? Yeah. So, like, that's, that's exactly what I, what I assumed it was. So yeah. folks may have heard the hilarious story of the world's, one of the world's most cowardly police departments, uh, the one that raided Afro Man's house, uh, where <laughs> last week we found out that they have then sued Afro Man for using footage of them from raiding his house in a music video making fun of them. Mm-hmm. Which just like, Come on, you're gonna sue somebody over that? For, you're for, just gonna get more people to watch the video. Yeah, for the, the, when when cops are like, we need to sue this man for a video. He defamed us. He caused us embarrassment and loss of <laughs> yeah. reputation. Those are actually in the lawsuit. And it's like, <laughs> what teenager on earth isn't gonna want to watch after that? Like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. In fact, it's so, so great. I mean, we've already had an Afro Man song at the end of the episode before. I'm putting another one there. He's got a lot of them. <laughs> So that's the setup for this meme, which is just, uh, it is a, a picture of one of those times when the cops pretend that you can OD on fentanyl by being in the same room as it. <laughs> so it's body camera footage of a guy pretending to have a seizure and pretending very badly to have a seizure because they're very clearly not. Um, mm-hmm. And... And it's just captioned, heartbreaking footage of a law enforcement officer being exposed to the Afro Man music video. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, uh, how will I ever save face after this? <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to pass a compensation program for this, just like they did with uh, Havana City. Yeah, the uh, Adams <laughs> County right. Sheriff has begun testing all officers for lemon pound cake on a weekly basis. <laughs> 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 That's right. Oh, uh, and then our next meme is one that John referenced earlier That's in right. the episode, which is actually, I mean, he pretty much described it, but this is like a bunch of people in a restaurant having uh, just a, a lovely high class meal, wine glasses on the table. Uh, you know, I guess, or well, maybe not. They're, they do have just regular coats. I don't know. Anyway, the in the background, everything's on fire. <laughs> and the caption on this says, the French really did the this is fine meme. And I, I saw this. I like, have seen a dead. <laughs> I, I've seen a bunch of these over the weekend. Like there, I saw one where it's, it's a video of pe- folks sitting down at outdoor seating at a cafe while literally <laughs> like, 20 feet away there's a giant burning pile of garbage that was my favorite one because they're they're like these folks you could think like oh you know they're protesting but they had to pop in for a nice little dinner before they got back out on the street (laughs) the folks who were outside at the cafe are just like oh paris is so beautiful in the firelight like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's great um and then so our last one here is just it's a little bob ross meme so it's bob ross draws a hammer me Nice. Bob Ross draws sickle because everyone needs a friend. 
me holding back tears. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's Bob Ross in front of a hamstick. <laughs> I just like this play on a Bob Ross meme, and I wanted to put something slightly nicer at the end. Yeah. I mean, this is really pleasant. You ever see something where you just have to be like, hell yeah, dude, that was amazing. <laughs> hell right. yeah. Well, and with that, we're going to wrap for this episode. We want to thank everyone who supports the show because it is the only way that we get funding in order to do this. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash workstoppage. You also get access to all of our many different Patreon episodes, whether they be our interviews with the academia people or they be our overtime episodes. You can go back to the repressive state apparatus or, or rank and file organizing. We got so many different great episodes in there. And other than that, you can jump in the Discord. That's for everybody. Write us a review somewhere. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And then, as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity. kidnapping let me ask you something officer any kidnapping victims inside my seat pockets are there any kidnapping victims inside my suit pockets you crooked cops need to stop it there are no kidnapping victims in my suit pockets let me ask you another question. Is there a thousand pounds of weed in my suit pockets? Is there a thousand pounds of weed in my suit pockets? You crooked cops need to stop it. There's not a million pounds of weed in my suit pockets. Let me ask you something else. Any kidnapping victims inside my CDs? Any kidnapping victims inside my CDs? 
County Sheriff Department, you can get these. There are no kidnapping victims in my in my CDs. How many pounds of weed are inside my CDs? How many pounds of weed are inside my CDs? Adams County Sheriff, you can get these. How many pounds of weed did you find in my CDs? Why are you still in my money? Why are you still in my money? You represent the law and it's funny. You're still in my legal work hard every day. Pay taxes money. The sheriff disconnected my cameras. The sheriff disconnected my cameras. The sheriff should be locked up in slammers. The Adams County Sheriff Department disconnected my cameras. Did you have to traumatize my kids? Did you have to traumatize my kids? Did you have to traumatize my kids? Did you have to traumatize my kids?